What's going on guys? 360 Digital Closing Bell here. I am your humble, humble correspondent Michael Tanner. Join for our week ahead podcast episode 25. Stu, we are a quarter century old here on this June 15th. As I mentioned, we are joined as always by the executive producer of the show, the purveyor of the show, and the publisher and director of the world's greatest website, oilandgas360.com. Stuart Turley, how you doing my man? I'm doing fantastic. We've given birth to a 25 year old. Yeah, no kidding. I uh, 25 episodes, and, and here's to another 250 more. We, we've been having a blast doing this. Uh, you're coming to us from an undisclosed location in Oklahoma. That's yeah. what we've got you in the zombie apocalypse apartments. Back in Dallas. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah. sneaking around on us. I am. Sneaking around on us. We really like it. Um, if you're listening to this, it is June 15th, episode number 25. But as always, we are recording this. Uh, midway through Sunday afternoon, so uh, gives you an idea in case anything crazy happens in the morning, which might happen with CRC, and we will get into all of that. But before we do that, I need to thank our friends at Adamantine Energy for making this show possible. These guys, we, I love everything about Adamantine Energy. Their principal, Tisha Schuler, is not only someone who I have an opportunity to work with, but I've got an opportunity to, to just meet as a person, and she's awesome. So I, I highly recommend, um, even if you have nothing to do with the ESG space, Get to know her. She's an awesome person. But really what Adamantine Energy is doing is they're asking the question, and this question is specifically for if, you know, executives and someone who is sort of if managing more of a, the more of the operation side and it maybe is on the squeeze of it. But really what they're helping, they're going to help you with uh, social risk management. And, 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 what you, and what that is is it's not just the success from fossil fuels to the investor engagement. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into ESG other than just we're going to be battling um, politicians and we're going to be lobbyists. No, they they're the leading consultancy in Admetine Energy is in helping the oil and gas sector prepare for all of this social risk. And that's really how she quantifies it. It's a really interesting way of putting it. They're led by principal um, of Admetine Energy, Tisha Schuler, who's the former CEO of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, where credentials are incredible. And Admetine Energy is helping guide energy companies just like yours to help your exp- uh, explore your exposure to social risk. You should also subscribe to Tisha's weekly emails. Both of these things are true and one eye to the future. You can check all of that out at energythinks.com. We have a great show for you guys lined up today. We're going to chat about sort of the recent rally in energy equities, what's what's, what's happened and, and really what that means going forward. And even if it's a rally, recovery, or rebound, and we'll kind of explore what all of those terms mean and what happens. Steven's then going to call into the show and we're going to chat about the midstream business. I'm excited to hear from him. It's been too long and I'm hopefully we can, we will dive into a lot of stuff with him. Then we're going to check in on the levels for the obviously crude oil and check out what the commitment to traders did. Very interesting stories, pretty much all green across the board. And finally, we will check in with the 360 non-official official fund. Please, just before we get going, subscribe to the show, 360 Digital Closing Bell, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Subscribe resubscribe unsubscribe share it with your friends make your mom listen to it download all the shows do whatever makes the algorithm go nuts we really appreciate um everybody who's listening and we're having a blast connect with all of oil and gas 360 on linkedin twitter facebook intercom as well you should check out also the energy 360 network which is a podcast and interview series by intercom specifically and, and it's all your favorite characters from Entercom coming in to interview the energy thought leaders. We've done over 50 episodes right now, and we've got three. We got two coming out this week. Uh, we have two coming. coming out, yeah, two two coming out this week, and we also are interviewing uh, not only that, but uh, two folks lined up from uh, Europe that are uh, very uh, nice. global. 
global. We're global now. We're global and now. We uh, have a commitment now from George Friedman. Uh, He's holding up the book for the podcast audience. Yes. Uh, New York best time uh, seller. So we have got him in the pipe. Uh, That'll be good. We We're coming out with, uh, we got Jeffrey Can, who's we got an author coming out with, what, Tuesday, Wednesday? Uh, he's coming out Tuesday, and then um, Monday is... Um, and Varys. We, and, we, and just, Varys. We, we cut that podcast yeah. on, uh, so you'll be seeing that probably as you're listening to this podcast. Right. But uh, you'll be seeing that come out Monday. We cut that last Friday. It right. was on shut-ins, which is actually the, one of the questions I want to ask Stephen about so it's it's going to be really good this um it was with uh what was his name i forget his name mcbride rob Rob mcbride awesome i mean you want to talk about a background that we could have dove into former natural gas trader power trader so that means the schedule he was on by the way so just give you an example like you know what's nice about the stock market is is it closes sometimes you know, just open 9.30 to file 4. It's a nice 9 to 5. I mean, it's stressful, but if you do want to work on the floor, you want to trade power, well, you need power 24-7, even on Christmas, even on Thanksgiving, you need power. And so guess what that means? There are people trading power. Oh, man, those guys grind. It's it's like working in the field. You're on 12-hour shifts, um, maybe sometimes even up to 16 hours, depending on if you get caught in the seat. Um but then you're on, you know, 15 days on, you get five off. It's unbelievable. That's, that's almost uh, like grind. So I have all my hats off to anyone who trades power out there. You get the the, the golf clap. You know, it, it's almost like being on a news desk. It is. No kidding. There's never a, news never stops. Hopefully, even on Christmas. Hopefully, it slows down. Maybe we'll do a show live on Christmas. There you go. But uh, but no, I he it's going to be a great interview um, with Rob and Inverness talking all about shut-ins and sort of what that means specifically and, for the and a uh, ESG from uh, yes. the intercom team. Yep, we will have that. I we cut that up last week, so we'll be pushing that out. Um, you know, really, as as we get in today, I'm excited to talk to Stephen about because I think, you know. With all of these shut-ins supposedly coming back online, I think that poses an interesting question for the midstream business. Are they ready for this? You know, some of these pipes have moved into storage. So I think that's what we'll dive into. But I was reading this week, and and, and obviously if you've been following the podcast, the past 10 to 15 days have been an incredible wild for the energy sector in, in terms of booms, busts, intraday trading. If you are somebody who likes, you know, if likes getting into the weeds on on trading and volume and and all of the nitty-gritty stuff that goes behind maybe sometimes why intraday stock prices move you have been living in the heaven and so it's been really fun for kind of those nerds like me but specifically crude oil and the energy equities have been absolutely unbelievable so i mean these the the, the closing bells for the past 10 days have been wild the shows right i mean there's just been there's been something wild that happens every single day whether it's chesapeake you know going from 60 to 100 percent stock increase to all of a sudden their shares getting halted because an imminent imminent bankruptcy filing is in whiting gains 100 percent over a two-day span and they've legitimately declared bankruptcy which and, and so various reasons of having oil at one point was negative 37 dollars i know that's just i mean that I, i'm just saying that for effect it was negative 37 dollars but like it, it was more it was in its teens it was Oil was theoretically trading in his teens. I remember the first amazing Kreskin prediction we had was oil at 17 bucks. That was all the way. I mean, we're a quarter century old now. I'm bringing it all the way back to like episode three, which the Kreskin, we remember it was 17 bucks. That's what we were saying. 
So, I mean, you, you, I mean, now it's only still $36, $37, but I mean, forget it's the, better. Don't forget the uh, um, tanker situation that we were calling uh, ahead of the other news channels uh, on uh, circumventing uh, the sanctions. Yeah, so we, we've been on the tanker story. That's yeah, I mean, that was big. That was a win for us. That was a win for us. But uh, so, you know, it's it's been wild. And it's been wild in a bullish way and slightly a, a bearish way. I know the last couple of days weren't great. But, but man, it's been absolutely wild. And I, I was reading some stories this week that sort of made me giggle. And because the titles of all of these articles that are sort of trying to sum up the past, uh, this past chunk of time that's happened 10 to 15 days, I keep seeing the word recovery. And it... it it bothers me a little bit, but it also makes me chuckle because it's it's just what happens because you're going to click on that title. You're going to click on that headline, recovery, when they're, they're using that word really disingenuously. And, and, and there's three terms in trading that get talked about a lot. There's rallying, recoverings, and rebounds. And all of them have different meanings and can be applied differently. And I think... What a lot of these, you know, specifically with, with some of these articles are doing when they're talking about recovery for the oil and gas industry right now is as, as, as they try to quantify what's been happening. They're doing a sleight of hand, and I think they're doing it for clicks, but I'm also slightly a conspiracy theorist. So it could be other reasons they could genuinely believe it, but they're doing a sleight of hand because the right word is rebound. This The industry is on a massive freefall and is now beginning to see a little bit of a rebound due to the fact that a lot of this coronavirus stuff has come back. But if, if we take a longer look at equities, I know over the past two weeks, there's some crazy numbers. I mean, if you go look on a stock, um, I was doing this this morning because I, I was trying to put together, you know, what am I going to talk about my first segment? Uh, I pulled up all of the, the stock screen. I was just looking through the, the monthly perfs. I was, and it was unbelievable how bullish this, I mean, just companies that you would have no, have no business, no business increasing in value. Oh, up, lighting up huge month over month. And they started the month not declaring for bankruptcy. In the month, declared bankruptcy. And they're up. I mean, it's almost an interesting strategy. Um, so it's so to talk about, um, you know, so so it's 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 been very weird in that regard. So when you look at a longer term view, there's clearly not a recovery. I mean, you know, when you when when you know if 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 you look at the XOP contract and I have it pulled up right here, we were trading it January twenty twenty. It was about seventy dollars. It was about excuse me ninety five dollars, and now we're sitting at about fifty eight dollars. It's, it's about 50%, a little less than 50%, about a 40, 40, 45% slash in the price. And it was more than 100%. It was almost 100% of a slash. It got really close. I mean, that XOP contract, if you look at over that period, got down to low, okay? And so that, when we look at what the XOP has done relative to how the demand and supply, because as we remember, at the end of the day, the way the oil industry works is supply and demand. That's what price of oil looks like. And at the end of the day, energy equities are generally priced by the price of oil. Not so, mu not, not so much anymore, but it's a big factor. So let's, let's dive into it. So supply and demand difference is only about 8 million right now, which is crazy to think about because two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we were having interviews hearing the word 30. We were hearing 35. I mean, Stu, remember, I mean, remember the, the, the I mean, I, I don't know how many webinars I sat in on who I heard 20 to 30 for months, months down the line. And, and you know, that's a combination of living in the moment and I think some that's a, a, a 
flaw in modeling is not being able to institute the gray area. The gray area of us. People are not enjoying forced to be home. If people choose to be home, that's one thing. But if you are forced to be home, I think you have an opposite, you know, that's Newton's third law. Uh, something doesn't act unless acted upon by an outside op for, you know what I mean? So, or every action has a positive and equal and opposite reaction. So, I mean, we're talking physics here. We're not sure if that's actually true or not. I'm not a physicist, so feel free to physicists call me up. Um, I, I mixed up the, uh, the, the the Newton's laws, but but you get what I'm saying. There's the, you know, so this idea that we were going to have this huge demand destruction, you know, we've been on it for a while, was sort of overblown, and, and, and the EIA came out, as I mentioned, with this short-term energy outlook. They released it June 9th, and their next release stage June 7th. They're saying 8 million. They're saying 8 million difference. There's an 8 million barrel difference, and that's shrinking every day. U.S. oil production is only continuing to go Rigs are going to continue to get slashed. They're not, rigs aren't coming back, and that's a whole, and that partly why it goes into this so production on the u.s side is already down two million barrels it's going to continue to go down Stu's going to run a story that iraq's about to cut more production opec just agreed to more cuts when you look at what happened in may they were like 80 percent compliant which man that's good you don't get 80 percent of a lot of people to agree on a lot of stuff so the fact that you've got 80 percent compliance between a legit cartel that's actually not a bad thing to see so i this this idea that when when this idea that I think demand is going to continue is is and, and there's going to be this huge skew in what it is is was I think slightly overblown. So when we look at this recent rebound or recovery or whatever you want to call it, again sleight of hand, I'm going to use the word rebound. This is more about demand coming back online versus any renewed strength in the energy business. We've snapped back, and that's why you've seen three over the past two three weeks, specifically ten days, all of this positive news about people coming out. A lot of new news about coronavirus, and, and you know we stopped talking about coronavirus because we it's I think it's overblown. So we get it's going, we get it's happening, but um, so this rally is more easily and more honestly correlated with the demand being way less, the demand destruction being way less than we thought, versus some sort of renewed strength in the energy business. Because when you look at the problems that were plaguing oil companies pre. COVID and post-COVID, they're the same thing. Before COVID, what we were talking about, too much debt. Look at Oxy. I mean, Oxy was, Oxy was struggling in November, December, before anyone had any idea that, 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 that coronavirus has become a thing. I mean, if you told me in December that we were going to be locked in for 30 days, I would have laughed. I wonder how many people would have bought that. Probably only people who were in the CDC. And, and between that, I don't even know. You know. And there was a huge focus on production versus profitability. When, when, when oil is $60 and capital is available, well, your goal is to focus on I'm gonna, how do I continue to increase production versus looking at the profitability of my company. I think that's going to come into what this means. So the question is, are any of those problems fixed? Is, is, is there less debt now? Are we still more focused on profitability versus production? Well, yes, one of those two is solved. We've, we've, there's been a shift. We focus, we're now focused on profitability versus production. But that leads itself to a very interesting conclusion. Debt has not been solved. It's part of the reason why Oxy hasn't been bought yet. I mean, let's just be honest. If Oxy had half the amount of debt, they'd get swallowed up by Chevron tomorrow because it'd be it's too cheap. It's twenty five cents on the dollar, and Exxon's one of you know Exxon or Chevron, one of the two companies that can do that. Whoever you think, you know, room, you know, whatever rumors fly. We're not going to get specific, but you know, they'll get swallowed up tomorrow. It's prime acreage. So now that we're focusing on profitability, it's it's a huge hole. 
No one makes money in the oil business. So how do you sustain a business if you don't make money? Well, you have to have access to capital. Well, if everybody thinks you're in it, if, if there's no money available, the only companies that are going to be around are ones that are profitable. So when we move forward, like I, what this rally means for the oil patch, it's just, just proof that there's more consolidation about that. Um, one of the things that we talked about, that's why why we you know we hit hard on, on Rob McBride this morning is because he's going to mention something about multi-basin players in that industry. And multi-basin players got hit hard by shut-ins. Super majors obviously did a lot of the shut-ins, but those their economics are different than the rest of the EMP world. I, I don't like, you know, I, I love when they, you can't group and you can't do analysis and say, well, the super majors are doing this. So everyone, no, no, they're, they're different. Multi-basin players, specifically company, got hit super hard with shut-ins. And what does that mean? Well, that makes sense because before COVID happened, what, what was the theme? Consol- what was the theme? Multi-basins were what? Selling off assets. To do what? To get core. We're going to focus on our core assets. That was the sexy term for uh, for like 2019, mid-2018. It was, uh, free, we're, 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 free cash flow. Get rid yeah, of debt. Exactly. Exactly. Well, but, 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 but what was the theme before in, in terms of from all of these multi-basin players before? What, what were they Selling trying to do even before COVID? Yeah, oh no. We're reducing to our core acreage. We, we, we don't have time. We're trimming the fat, as I like to call it. Okay? So that's not going to change now. And without access to capital, now all of a sudden you're a multi-basin player. You're not profitable. You can't sell your oil wells? Well, now all of a sudden it doesn't matter what your stock price is. You're going to get acquired. And, you know, you can bake into the reason why maybe some of these companies are running up is they do think they're going to get acquired. Maybe, maybe somebody thinks Oxy's going to get acquired. I mean, Oxy's going to get acquired. That's why you're seeing a huge rise in their stock price. But... What you're, I think this means is that we're going to see consolidation, specifically on the M&A side. The only companies that are going to have access to capital to be able to fund some of these purchases are super majors. They're the only people that actually make money and why they're diversified. So if you only, if, if you are not diversified between upstream, midstream, and downstream, it, it, you know, it is in probably your best interest to only have one basin. If you just look at the numbers... You just do do the numbers based upon free cash. I mean, you look at companies like, like, why do you think I got into Bonanza Creek, you know, two months ago for the podcast, right, when we started? Well, they made my, the free cash flow, and they're in one basin. I like the economics. I thought it was low. I mean, it was I, – I, that. I mean, sometimes it's as easy as that. You don't have to make it more complex. Oh, is, you know, do, do, do I personally like the CEO? What's their well spacing look like? I mean, yeah, I mean, you cannot like someone's well spacing and still think, mm, they're probably just going to be around. So consolidation, I think, is a huge theme that, that these past 10 to 15 days are showing us, that there's this rally, but it's more of a rally rebound versus a recovery. And anyone who's selling you that bag of goods, um, just be mindful. Be, be mindful. I think the other thing, and there's this, this, this article that, that we'll post um, on the Oil & Gas 360 News Desk, which I highly recommend check out. I'll put the link to the News Desk in the show notes. I need to start doing that. I don't know why I didn't do that last week. Um, but we'll get that. Um, he points to and, and really does a good job of explaining the consolidation piece that's going to happen moving forward um, in terms of how it's going to work between the super majors, how they're going to slice and dice. I mean, one of the, the crazy stats he brings up was there's, you know, if, if you just do the math, there's $325 billion worth of economic, uh, discoverable, drillable oil and gas right now that has zero money that's able to fund it for. So 
I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, considering all of the debt. I mean, we, 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 we've hammered on debt in this previous podcast before. But, I mean, you're looking at $300 billion just sitting out there right now that we should theoretically be able to go get, but there's no money for. And, you know, a lot of those are ducks. A lot of, it's unbelievable. What's a few billion between friends? Again. Um, and then I think the other thing this means for the oil patch is we talk about capital a lot. Um, I think we're going to, you know, I, I, part of the reason why we're in this position is because capital is drying up in the oil and gas field. No one wants to lend to the oil and gas fields. We ran, you know, a week, you know, two weeks ago, Kane Anderson shutting down pretty much half of their PE division, uh, PE division, which was energy, which was they were like the largest private equity um, in in uh, in that space. Um, we reports Goldman Sachs, all these large investment banks. It's all now clean energy. So I think investment is now going to largely shift away from EMP, and it's going to move into energy tech, clean energy. So if there's any capital available, I think it's going to be clean energy or energy tech. And you know, I'm not an I'm not an expert on either of those, but it's just where when you just look at the numbers, it's when you look at the stuff. So if you're if you're watching where all the money's going, that's what I think is going to happen, and that's why I think. You know, I think in two years, you're going to have, I mean, Scott Sheffield did say this right when the market tanked. He said in two years, you're going to have 10 companies and you're going to have about 40 to 50 insolvent companies that will be either in the process of bankruptcy or, and we'll just always be walking that final line. 10 solid companies. And we, we were, we're keeping a running list. We, we did that until we've been doing that for a while. So it's, it's a theme that's come up a lot, but I think it breeds even more you know, you know, discussion right now, specifically in light of this weird rally. And well, now is everybody safe? No, not everybody's safe. Um, so anything you got, Stu, to add on to that before we got Stephen about to call in here? I'd say let's go ahead and call him and uh, get going. We yeah, we got lots, uh, lots of other stuff. Yeah, lots of other stuff. So um, we love talking to Stephen. Stephen Barrow is the owner and operator of Patronus Energy. He actually, you know, um, he. he and this company really focuses on midstream consulting from a from, from a holistic standpoint. They they do some engineering consulting, but they do you know what his expertise is, is is more of the financial and the regulatory side. He's an expert in understanding what type of, of regulatory needs when you're going to spin up a gas facility plant. If you if you found all of this gas, how you know specifically from a gas side because you know or an oil side, how do you manage all of that specifically? What Petronas says, I'd highly recommend checking them out. And we've got him on the line, Stephen. We really appreciate you joining us today. And and first. Yeah, I, as, as I mentioned and just talked about in, in my first segment, you know, we were talking about sort of the problems and, and what this recent rally has meant. And one of the things that, that we mentioned early on was, was shut-ins are starting to come back online now. Now, it's clear that production may not be at the levels it was, but from, from that perspective, is the midstream, you know, is, is the business ready for shut-ins to come back on? How, how are you seeing that and how does that look? Oh, I think you nailed it. I mean, the midstream midstreamers are just totally stoked about production coming back online. Like stories that we covered before about um, like midstream companies converting their pipelines to storage and um, wild you know, stuff. Wild stuff. Of, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, so we're in the midstream world. We're excited to go back to a little bit uh, more of our our you know traditional business, <laughs> which is we keep stuff flowing. Sorry, I'll cut that out there for a second. I was just caught myself on mute. But no, you guys keep it flowing well. And I mean, I saw some very interesting reports this morning that were, uh, 
you know, we're going to be seeing about 40, 45% of all shut-in volumes come back on in June, which is an crazy number to think we're still, oil is still dive bombing here. Um, you know, even though all these shut-ins are coming back on, you know, one of the big things that I've been, I've been hearing, you know, in a lot of these interviews and webinars I've been sitting in is, is the LNG market and specifically the changing dynamics in the global LNG market as it affects the United States. And I want to get into some more of that stuff, but can you set the stage for a second on just kind of what's going on in the global LNG market and specifically why LNG might be poised to sort of help bridge the gap between some of this, this demand issues we're having? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, so as economies grow, like COVID aside, just without the, the major dis- demand destruction with COVID, um, like the, the global economies um, have been growing and those that are growing the fastest are, you know, like emerging economies such as like India and Japan, China. Um, they, as they grow, that translates to an increase in, in a demand in energy. Uh, traditionally, those countries have gotten it from dirty energy sources like coal. Um, and I'm an energy guy. I love all forms of energy. But when you talk about the environmental impact of coal, um, there's there's a lot of headwind there, a lot of challenges. And, um, you know, it sparks years of global discussion around how to, you know, reduce our carbon footprint, reduce, um, you know, different kinds of like toxins and emissions. And so as countries examine other forms of energy that are friendlier to the environment, natural gas emerges as a really good transition energy source Um, because you can get, uh, it's pretty easy to replace, um, you know, coal for natural gas in terms of like, you can retrofit the the power plants. Mm -hmm. You can, uh, you know, it's like a reliable energy source. And it's cheap. It's plentiful. I mean, the the fracking revolution in the United States and uh, has changed natural gas economics worldwide. So um, natural gas has emerged as this um, really good solution. And uh, the problem is, is it's not available in those um, like growing economies. Like China doesn't have a lot of natural gas. Uh, You know, India, it doesn't. And uh, Japan doesn't really, so they need to import it, and uh, LNG is the preferred way to do that because of just transport issues with, um, you know, tra- you know, gas in a pipeline. So if you if you condense it into a liquid, which is technically challenging, but um, it's exactly what LNG is. You actually shrink it by 600 times, so it's really like 600 times smaller as a liquid than it is a, as a gas. Yeah. Oh, that's unbelievable. That's crazy. And so kind of what I wanted to ask along that point was being a midstream guy is that that's sort of the crux of the issue with LNG is the fact that the places where it's needed, it may not necessarily be plentiful like China and, and other places. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Now um, you take all that into account with uh, COVID there's some headwinds that are hitting the LNG industry right now. And that's because mostly due to COVID like India, for example, shut down their continental borders completely. Uh, That was their preferred response for COVID. It served them well. They opened it a little bit um, just not too long ago and then saw a spike in COVID cases. So they shut the borders again and, and there's literally nothing being imported, exported 
and so they've canceled their LNG shipments and that's impacted U S companies like, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the ones that we've covered before. I mean, Chenier is a big operator in the United States. Um, you know, Golden Pass LNG facility, uh, all the big names that, that we've talked about before. Yeah. So there's, there's been a trend in canceling the shipments of LNG for June. I think there's like uh, on the order of 10 major shipments canceled. And then July has even more, something like 40 to 50 shipments have been canceled. So, wow. Um, it's important. Yeah. It's a, that, that's a big impact. It's important to note though, that that's just temporary. Um, like you look at the economic models, uh, Bloomberg's a good source. They're, they're projecting August, um, you know, the, the price spread between U.S. natural gas and international markets to be big enough again and the demand to come back from COVID that, you know, everything will get back to, to normal. Yeah, that's, that's, that's wild. And I mean, if, if, if you haven't heard it enough, I'll just say it again. It's been some unprecedented stuff that's going on. And I think that's really, that's really interesting to look at going forward. You know, I think the other thing that's on people's, especially in, in the interpeasionist mind on the upstream side is, is any sort of idea that's considered cost savings. I know that's the biggest thing, you know, being, you know, being a consultant yourself, being a consultant myself, you know, we're always looking, how do I pitch a project that's net positive in terms of, but it doesn't cost them anything to actually implement this. Are, are there things you're seeing on the midstream side that companies can do along this sort of cost savings side, whether it's energy, you know, energy savings, whether it's maybe doing some of the browsers, are there any ways that that idea of cost savings can come into the midstream world? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is some of our favorite projects, right? When you can, um, like when everyone has to get creative right now because um, of just the, all that's going on in the world. And so as consultants, we love to um, help our clients reduce their, their costs. And we love to do it in a way that doesn't involve reduction in in (laughs) headcount because that's, that's not very, that's not very fun. Um, But uh, so like a, for example, you turn to like a, a major um, giant like Williams, for example, they're based out of Tulsa, um, big midstreamer. Mm-hmm. They, they just recently announced that they're installing a bunch of solar power uh, generating facilities and um, they're hoping to offset like about you know, 350 megawatts of electricity. So that's huge. Um, that's going to be spread out over their like 48 different sites and over nine states. Yeah, so it's a major initiative yeah. from the company. Uh, other people have done other similar projects to reduce that. Like you have to keep in mind, like the cost of electricity adds up (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's, it's one thing to have that cost in a, a, like a state that's been deregulated. So like California, Texas, uh, the power markets have been perfectly deregulated. So, um, you know, you might be locked into a a short-term contract, one, three, five year contract. Uh, and a broker can help negotiate, renegotiate that to get you a better deal, especially like when the markets change and you need to renegotiate. Yeah, but you that can hedge exist. power. You, you, we talk about hedging oil and gas. You can hedge your electricity costs very easily. I don't necessarily do that, but there are people that specialize in that easily. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that it's not very flexible in regulated markets like um, all the other states or most mm-hmm. of the other states. So um, companies are turning to other sources like just getting off the power grid, <laughs> going solar, 
which is kind of cool. Those are cool Ooh. projects. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Well, cool. Like and you another, mentioned there was this other uh, project by Capstone Turbine that you mentioned. I wanted to touch on that. Yeah. So uh, Capstone Turbine, they're a California-based company. Um, they they just got another big order for micro turbines. Um, they didn't disclose the operator yet, uh, but they they have a lot of these micro turbines in the Permian Basin. Um, basically, it just if the turbine runs off of natural gas, and so um, it generates electricity right there on site. So then you don't have to, you know, put in a lot of power infrastructure, which is expensive, or you know, be tied to the the power company pricing, which could also be expensive. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no kidding. So, well, I think that's that's super interesting, and I think that's these are some ideas that you're going to start seeing probably roll out in the patch here soon. You know, before we let you go, like I said, I'd like to use you as our eyes and ears for the midstream business. Anything we need to be watching out for coming up here? Um, in your side of the world? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, two stories I want to touch on. Um, Rattlesnake Pipeline is, uh, you know, they, they did an extension. This is by a Denver-based company called Taproot Energy. Um, they just secured a 60,000-acre dedication, which is huge. And uh, always when you hear about a new dedication being given, it's like it's a signal. It means activity is happening or it's going to happen in the near future. So, you know, they, they anticipate rigs to be moving to that area, drilling wells, uh, sending, you know, some more gas to their system. So that that's a huge story. I think it, it would be exciting to see. And, and the people giving that dedication is uh, a small company called Mallard Exploration, uh, private equity backed, uh, just a, a team of sharp, sharp guys, um, sharp individuals running that company. So, Look for that. Follow that. I think it'll be kind of fun to see where that goes. And uh, and then on another note, you always have to highlight companies that just have, uh, you know, they can create a value proposition, but also help out a bunch of people. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, if you look at Illinois, there's uh, a company called Nicor Gas, and they uh, they're a utility provider, so they serve you know two million customers um, in the north part of the state. Uh, but they just announced a plan to build a pipeline that's going to flow natural gas to a small town called Hopkins Park. And Hopkins Park is, they don't have gas. And so they've, they've mm. kind of live in the 1800s, <laughs> uh, which is crazy. Uh, but that's yeah, th this company just, they, they, they're putting the money into putting this infrastructure. Um, it's going to supply gas to the residents of the town. Um, they, they found a way to make it economically feasible and, and you just got to give them two thumbs up. Okay, for, well, for well, I always, and that's one theme that I think people, if, if this is the first time you're tuning in and hearing Steven, the, the theme that, 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 that he keeps hammering on, at least I take away every time we speak is there's still investment that's happening in natural gas. There may be the crude oil side might be dead and it may be dead for a, for, for a couple more months, but there are people going long and investing heavy in natural gas. It's really cool to see. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Well, I think with that, we'll head, we'll go ahead and let you get out of here. Um, thanks again for your time and, and we'll look forward to chat with you next week. Cool. Thanks, Michael. 
High-level stuff there from Stephen Barrow. Love chatting with him, and we'll make sure to give him a call next week. But I think it's time to now move in to the levels for oil trading. As always, this segment is sponsored by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely good research at all of the levels and research from this podcast are provided via their Energy Gimp solution. Just check them out, sandstonecg.com, or call them 949-561-1818. Remember, you got to tell them you got sent via the podcast or we don't get credit. We love you calling them, but you got to mention the podcast. Um, you know, f- f- moving into this week for U.S. Shale, I think, you know, there's one big theme, and I touched on it in segment one. Um, it, it's, it's There's some imminent bankruptcies, right? You know, specifically CRC. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, like we record these on Sunday afternoons. Um, they might, we might wake up tomorrow morning and realize they're bankrupt because they, the credit lenders agreed to hold off taking action until specifically June 14th after they missed a bunch of payments on May 29th in terms of Chris, uh, in terms of its credit facility and a bunch of its term loans. So, there's going to be some very imminent news happening with, with CRC. So it's really interesting what happens there. As obviously, you know, last Tuesday we heard the reports of Chesapeake. That, you know, there's probably going to be some news that comes out one way or the other this week. So we will be following that. Um, and, and that's really about the one thing I'm looking for. I, I think, you know, as, as we mentioned in the first part, it'll be interesting to see if this if this, this rebound continues. But, but, but I think if you look at the charts, the rebound's over. If anything, I think we might can see a continuation of, of some more of this downside action. But we'll get into more of my, my bias next week. Stu, what do you have in the international news desk for us? Hey, Michael, a lot of things going on. Uh, but let me bring up a couple things. Rystat just released this morning uh, a note that Global upstream investments set for a 15-year low, falling to 383 billion in upstream investments. So that's huge. It's down almost 150 billion between now and last year. That's a that's huge, unbelievable. Huge. That's amount. That that's the exact amount of discoverable as as was mentioned in this peak oil, oil article. The exact amount of discoverable oil that is could be available to drill. So it's it, that's the real disaster of of, of the coronavirus slash the Saudi oil is the capital destruction. You betcha it. And there it is. Poof. Um, the next one is uh, Michael. If you remember, Mifid two was the financial. Uh, regulations coming mm-hmm. over, uh, I believe, a couple of years ago, and it really started impacting the financial area in the U.S. The EU defines green investment to boost sustainable finance. What the EU group has done is they're defining exactly what qualifies as uh, green or investability in this mm. area. I downloaded the uh, report and the from the Council of the European Union. I have all of their regulations, and I believe that this is going to be following MIFID II. From the finance side, these regulations are going to tag into the U.S., and the U.S. better be ready for them. They're going to start hitting in hard. So it sounds like we've got some regulations to read and get a report out quickly to the 360 news desk. So that's going to be another another job. We will get that read and that report will land on the news desk sometime this week. We'll keep you yep. updated. You bet. Absolutely. And then the next one uh, is with all the OPEC. Email me that document. I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll chunk that in half. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, Iraq asked uh, BP to throttle the flow in order to meet OPEC quota. Yep. So. 
that's Iran, Iraq is asking it. So Iraq and you're looking at OPEC, they're all out there. Uh, we ran a story this week about the prince of Qatar saying we made a mistake and he did his Scooby moment last week and said, we didn't know the price war would be that bad. Well, Iraq is also pleading for them to throttle back because it's killing Iraq as well too. So a lot of things to watch on the international news desk. And I want to give a shout out. We have two nice um, interviews coming up on the oil and gas 360 yep. energy network from Europe, one from Austria and one from Spain. We'll get you more details on those. No, those are, those are going to be really cool. You know, when I look at the levels for the week, um, really it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, we, 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 I think we talked about a week ago, $40 is probably the cap. What it looks like is 35 might be the floor. So I think if you're setting two good brackets on where you think oil might bounce between, I think 35 and, and, and 35 and 39.50 to 40 is probably a good level. Um, in terms of, of where I see the, the big volume chunks, 33, uh, 45, 35, 35, um, 36, 78, um, 38, 21 point of control for the last five days. So, you know, I, I am probably a little bullish the first couple of days as I think we'll probably take out that point of control. Um, we also have uh, an NOC that's it's up from, uh, it's, uh, what is it, Tuesday? Nah, no, 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 Wednesday of last week, we got a point of control we need to take out as well, um, which is just one of the smaller daily ones. So I'm probably a little bullish heading into the week when I look at the levels, but I think 39.09 is probably the cap. Um, 39.91 is obviously my highest level. Um, you got to watch out here. There's a real interesting slick, uh, what we would call a vacuum, um, which is falls between, and I highlighted this on my weekly charts. Please go check out the oil and gas 360 news day to take a look at my charts. Very interesting lack of volume between, you know, really 30. 37.75 and uh, 37.25. So if you're tr if you're seeing anything in that zone, watch out. Things could slip really quickly. Um, you know, there was a real a real slippage um, on on Friday right there. Nice big sell off. If I was watching the order flow on that, big 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 big. And, and it wasn't a spoof. There was a thousand contracts got put in. Boom, 36.78. That's why I put that ball. That's why that 36.78 level is because there was a thousand foot. There was a thousand contract footprint that showed up and it took it out. So somebody got in heavy long right there, which is again why you sort of saw it hang out right there. It didn't continue to nosedive. It was it was really weird to see. So I don't know if that's a producer getting in long, getting some hedging in. Um, but when we look at the COT, it, it it really just looks all positive across the board in terms in terms of what you would expect for a bullish market. Swap dealers saw longs. Uh, Increased by 4,000 contracts up to uh, 50, uh, 153,000 contracts. Hedge funds got uh, both long and short, but more long. So they're they're just adding some tail risk on the side. you know. And as I was always, hedge funds and, and the guys who trade oil, they're always long. 440,000 contracts on the long side versus 47 to the short side. Um, just much easier to acquire long contracts. Um, but nothing really interesting to show there. Stu, is there anything... Uh, more on the oil trading and uh, uh, news this week that we need to cover before we just check in with the fund and wrap up. Uh, I'm good. Thanks.
Good. So I think it's time to go ahead and move into the 360 official, non-official fund. But first, as always, our lawyers make us say this so we do not get sued. This segment is for entertainment purposes only. And uh, everyone on this show, i.e. me, Michael Tanner, and Stu Stewart, truly invest for our own account. We do not manage any outside money. We do not give investment advice. And we do not offer securities or have any involvement in the regulated side of the industry. Remember, investing is risky and you can and will lose your entire principal. That being said, Stu, how's your side of the portfolio? Uh, doing actually pretty good right now. Uh, L- my LNG is down just a hair, but uh, Oxy, I'm doing. I got into Oxy last okay. week. Okay. And uh, this morning it looks like it's a, heading up to the uh, 626. And I, I got a feeling on it for next week. Um, also, I got Rattler, a feeling got a, that tonight's going to be. Okay. And, okay. I like uh, it. Devin and Duke. Uh, Duke Ooh. Power is one that's just remaining solid for me. It's an energy company. And, Short and Devin, I hope. Uh, yep. Good. I was about to say. I don't think any. I, I I did not expect a long time. Any update on Tomcat? Is he giving you any new picks? Recently? Um, I'm talking to Tomcat tonight. Good. So we'll we'll have some new picks for you next Friday. For me, the only thing I'm doing is probably going to go long CL right when the market opens for one to two days. I like to exit around that $38 level. I'm not going bullish for eternity, but I, I do see some upside early in the week on oil on crude oil specifically. So I'm going to go ahead and probably stake a claim out there at a contract or two. As always, we're in that. Um, we have a long-term natural gas, uh, two of them that are doing okay. Um, nothing, nothing spectacular, but as always, the staple in our portfolio, Bonanza Creek, has just continued to return, return, return. We love them, and we we got to get somebody from Bonanza Creek on the show. We have to because um, they've been bringing in money, 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 and 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 by that I mean the fake stuff. So um, otherwise, portfolio looks good. You know, I, I'm probably going to look to find something else to staple it out. I I've been saying that for a little bit, but I've been liking these swing trades we've been doing on on crude oil and natural gas here. So we might continue and stick with works. But anything else, Stu? We'll wrap this up here. It's been a, we're about 45 minutes in. Uh, sounds fantastic, Michael. We got a lot to watch over the next few weeks, and we will keep them uh, inter- informed. We will keep it informed. As always, please join us every trading day close at 2 p.m. on Intercom's YouTube channel for our daily digital closing bell show where we cover everything you need to know about the energy markets in about 10 minutes. We've been trying to keep it under 10 minutes. Sometimes I ramble on, as you know. But I think with that, we're going to go and let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Book Closing Market. We will see you this afternoon for the Digital Ticker.